Welcome back to Coriam, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gilberti. And this is Breed C. So what are we talking about this week, Brian? So we're going to try to tackle a scary, mysterious illness that we've only recently started seeing, vaping-associated lung injury, or Bali. Luckily, we're joined by one of our EM physicians and toxicologists here at NYU who's been on the front lines and encountering Bali since the beginning, Dr. Larissa Laskowski. Right. We're so, so excited that you're joining us to help shed some light on Valley. Dr. Laskowski completed her emergency medicine residency at NYU Bellevue, then graduated from the NYU Bellevue Toxicology Fellowship. She's currently on faculty here and does so much more. Besides battling Valley clinically, Larissa is the co-founder of the Prevention and Education Partnership, also known as PEP, that educates middle school and high school students throughout New York City about the dangers of vaping to make them aware that it's not just a benign habit. Welcome to Corey M, Larissa. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so what I've read is that vaping has been associated with acute lung injury in over 1,300 people, and 29 deaths have been confirmed in over 20 states. It's very terrifying because this disease is largely in young people who have been otherwise healthy. About 70% of those people have been young men. Yeah, just two weeks ago, the first Valley-related death in New York was reported. A 17-year-old teenager in the Bronx. He's actually the youngest person to die so far at Valley, from what I understand. It's terrifying. If you don't mind, Larissa, I'm going to jump right into the millions of questions that Brian and I have about Valley. Sure, go right ahead. So this seems pretty simple, but what exactly constitutes vaping versus Juul? And why is it so popular? So I would say that vaping is the umbrella term, and it means inhaling the vapor, which is really a misnomer because it's an aerosol, from an e-cigarette or a vape pen. And Juul is a specific brand of e-cigarette that has captured a significant portion of the market, largely because of the way that it looks and how smooth it delivers nicotine, and also the way that they marketed their product. Okay, and what goes into these e-liquids and vape juice and Juul pods? So I would say that in general, there are four main ingredients in most e-liquid or vape juice, also in Juul pods. Flavor chemicals, which again were designed to be ingested or smelled but not necessarily inhaled in the lungs. Nicotine or THC concentrates. And then two other very common diluents, vegetable glycerin or VG and propylene glycol or PG. And both of those are designed to stabilize the nicotine, stabilize the flavor chemicals, and give that cloud that is so desirable when people are vaping or juuling. Oh, that's an interesting recipe. Okay, so what is the official definition of Valley? Vaping-associated lung injury, Larissa. So right now, the CDC uh, has two definitions for confirmed cases or probable cases. So I'm just going to go through the four qualifications. The first is use of an e-cigarette, vaping or dabbing in 90 days before symptom onset, and having a pulmonary infiltrate such as an opacity on x-ray or ground glass opacities on CT scan, and the absence of an infection on a thorough workup. So understand this is going to be a diagnosis of exclusion. And then finally, having no good medical alternative to explain the person's symptoms. Okay, interesting. So not going to be the easiest diagnosis that we make in the emergency department. Now, I know that the range of illness varies from mild all the way to ECMO. 
Is this severity of illness dose-dependent, or is any exposure to vaping potentially very harmful? Thank you for asking that question. Actually, it's a great question, and the answer to that question is we don't know right now. It's quite possible there is a dose-dependent effect. However, I think the most important thing for people to keep in mind is we still have not identified one specific entity or chemical that's causing these heterogeneous range of illnesses. And so it's very possible that there are two, three, five, ten different toxins that are causing such varied phenotypes from patient to patient. Wow, sounds like we have a lot to learn about this. Um, Another question I have for you is, I'm unclear whether the disease-causing culprit is the actual battery-operated device itself or the substrate in the electronic cigarette. I mean, I've heard it's only those with THC, then some people say it's also the nicotine. I've also heard that it's only those that's contaminated with vitamin E acetate or another lipophilic substance. What's what's your take on this, Larissa? So based on what, uh, based on the CDC investigation, it's been determined that the overwhelming majority of these cases have been linked to THC concentrate vape products. However, there's a small subset of patients that report using nicotine-only vape products, for example, Juul. So like I said, it could be a number of different chemicals. Now, certainly the technology has allowed us to get chemicals that have never before been in our lungs into our lungs. And some people manipulate their devices to increase the delivery of the aerosols, and that can play a role. Also, some of these devices are potentially releasing microscopic particles of metal, and there have certainly been cases of significant and irreversible lung damage from metal exposure from some of these products. So the answer is actually both and all of the above at this point. Whoa, so really scary stuff. And I know we're just starting to understand this illness, and we don't have any long-term data yet to determine the sequelae of Ali. But any sense of whether the pulmonary damage, which kind of looks like a chemical burn, is reversible? Or do patients become oxygen-dependent, like in severe COPD or emphysema? Again, I wish I had more answers for you. But again, I think that we don't know. I will say that some patients have developed what appears to be permanent lung damage, Um, With regard to your question about COPD, this is a really great one too, because I think most people at this point, uh, clinicians and the lay people alike, assume that these products are so much safer than traditional tobacco cigarettes. And I think that maybe just a few months ago, I thought the same thing. However, every single day, there's another study that's published that suggests that These products and the chemicals that are in them have the potential to cause cancer, are producing tumors in in animal studies. In addition, human studies have shown that the biochemical effects of e-cigarettes are very similar to the effects of tobacco cigarettes to cause permanent tissue damage in the same way that we see in patients with COPD. So... I would say that I think there's significant potential for these products to cause permanent long-term lung damage, and it will just be a little bit of time before we know for sure. Wow. So, I mean, if that's the case and 70% of these patients are young, 
healthy men, we're going to be seeing, you know, men in their 30s with permanent lung damage, um, which is, that's really, really scary. So besides asking patients if they have vaped or used e-cigarettes in the past 90 days, are there any other signs, symptoms, things you want to pick up in their history, Larissa? I would say that any younger person, I mean, young and old, the truth is we're seeing patients of all ages because patient people of all ages are using these products. But I think that if you, if you have a patient with pulmonary symptoms and they may not be forthcoming about their vape use or THC use, so you might not get that right off the bat. Certainly pulmonary symptoms, and we're also seeing a lot of patients with gastrointestinal symptoms, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, something you might think of in a differential that includes Legionella. Any patient that you're suspecting pneumonia, plus or minus GI symptoms, I think that you should be putting this on your differential. So a lot of nonspecific symptoms with this presentation. Is there anything in particular with the chest x-ray or the labs or the gas in particular that we should be looking out for? So unfortunately, at this point, there's not a specific test or marker for diagnosis. Like I mentioned, Valley is considered a diagnosis of exclusion. However, there are some patterns that have been emerging. So when it comes to, for example, symptoms, 95% of patients have had pulmonary symptoms. And an overwhelming majority have also had gastrointestinal symptoms like abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. While a, another significant majority of the patients have reported fevers, chills, and weight loss. In terms of some of the signs that you may see on physical exam, over half of patients are actually exhibiting hypoxia, which may be the thing that helps you because most young, healthy people with bronchitis or pneumonia are not necessarily going to be hypoxic, and that might raise a red flag for you. Interestingly enough, the CDC has reported that lung auscultation has been unreliable and very poorly sensitive for this illness. And then when it comes to some blood work that you might get, probably some of the typical tests you would get, CBC, um, maybe LFTs, as 50% of the patients have developed or exhibited a transaminitis. A blood gas would certainly reveal hypoxia. And 93% of the patients have actually had an elevated ESR. So we don't typically support sending ESR and CRP because they're so poorly sensitive or 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 specific, but in this particular case, it might be warranted. Then when it comes to radiographic testing, there are some patterns that are emerging. So on chest x-ray, many of the patients have had bilateral infiltrates or opacities. And um, on CAT scan, we're seeing ground glass uh, opacification there. One thing, you know, if you wanted to read a little bit more about this illness, the New England Journal of Medicine has written a really great and really short, I'm talking one and a half page article with images showing four different radiographic phenotypes. And really, there are patterns that are emerging of this extremely heterogeneous illness, where I would say there are more than four, maybe up to 10 different pathological patterns that are occurring when it comes to the lung injury and inflammation that is being caused and or associated with vaping. So Larissa, when you're fielding calls at the Poison Control Center, any particular antidotes or treatments you're recommending for those really sick patients with suspected valley? So 
I know that my colleagues at the Poison Center are making some broad recommendations based on what the CDC has supported. So again, because this is a diagnosis of exclusion, you should be treating your patients with antibiotics and even antiviral medications. The other thing that has been shown to potentially improve patient outcomes is steroids. However, I say that with the caveat being that there's really not great evidence. It's uh, we're kind of following how the index cases in Illinois were managed. And so uh, steroids in the realm of methylprednisolone, 60 milligrams IVQ6, are, are what our colleagues at the Poison Center are recommending. And the last thing, certainly in toxicology, we have plenty of antidotes, but um, a lot of the time we offer and recommend supportive care, and in this particular case, aggressive supportive care. So Larissa, being on the front lines in the emergency department and also fielding calls at the Poison Control Center, do you think that we're going to keep on seeing an increase in volley cases? Or are the new policies about advertising and even prohibiting vaping in certain states, do you think that they're going to have an impact and cause us to head in the right direction? I've been very reassured by some of the conversations I've had with patients, young patients in the emergency department who admit to smoking marijuana or having vaped THC concentrates that say that they've thrown out all of their uh, devices because of fear of developing this illness. However, I've spoken to a number of others who really don't know anything about it and are continuing to use. When it comes to middle and high school students. Tomorrow's the first day we're going to be going out to one of the high schools that we visit regularly. So I'll have a better answer for the high school students. Then I'm hopeful that they are being mindful and are hearing about these cases. But my concerns are that many, in fact, most of them probably still use these products. Wow, that's really cool that you're going out tomorrow to talk to those high schoolers. Make sure you keep us posted. It's time to do some take-home points. Number one, Valley is a diagnosis of exclusion, but definitely important to keep high and differential in these times. Number two, you want to ask anybody with a respiratory complaint or even nonspecific complaints like vomiting, diarrhea, myalgias, whether they have used e-cigarettes in the past 90 days in order to better risk stratify them for Valley. Number three, Again, nothing packed the mnemonic on blood gas, on imaging, but chest X-ray and CTs have shown some patterns of disease. If you have a high index of suspicion of valley and the chest X-ray is negative, consider moving on to a CT of the chest. Number four, manage the primary disease, but consider reaching out to your poison control center for advice. And remember that 96% of cases of Valley are requiring hospitalization. So again, you definitely want to have a high next suspicion if someone admits to smoking or vaping e-cigarettes in the past 90 days. And lastly, it's really, really important to realize that you can help as an emergency medicine doctor by telling all your patients to immediately quit vaping, even if it's not related to the current complaint. Just ask them right when they come in if they've used e-cigarettes or vaped in the past, you know, even year. And if they do, say, it's killing people. It's time to stop. Awesome. Thanks, Bree. And Larissa, thanks so much for stopping by the studio and spending time with us to share your knowledge and expertise on Volley and also all the work that you're doing both in academics and in the community for this. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Bree, Brian, and Larissa signing off.